Welcome to the Earspoon. This is Fish, and we have started a special line of interviewing called A Call to Action. We hope to distribute as much quality information to you about an ever-changing landscape, but please keep in mind, as it does change often, so might this information. It's all dated, and by all means, before acting on any of it, verify it. And as all Earspoon podcasts, it is presented to you by Mocha Joe's. If you live locally, they are offering curbside pickup, and they're still doing shipping through their website, mochajoes.com. Welcome to A Call to Action, a series presented by Great Eastern Radio and Brattleboro Community Television. We're covering many different topics from recovery initiatives to safeguarding your Zoom meetings. Today, we're talking with Chris Campany. He's the Executive Director for the Wyndham Regional Commission. I'm Peter Fish Case. Chris, welcome to A Call to Action. Thanks for having me. Yeah. All right. So for those not familiar with what the Wyndham Regional Commission does. Can, can you take a moment to explain exactly? Because I mean, there's kind of a wide breadth of uh, of ground that you cover. So if you could take a moment just to explain what it is you do exactly. Sure. So our mission is to assist towns in Southeast Vermont with um, effective local governance and working collaboratively with them on uh, issues of uh, regional importance. In the absence of county government, the state's 11 regional planning commissions serve as an essential link between local, state, and federal government. So we actually don't have the authority to do anything. We have no billing or taxation. We have no taxation authority. We're primarily funded through performance-based grants, but we are a political subdivision of the state. And so the commission is actually composed of uh, commissioners who are appointed uh, by the town select boards, and they're the ones who uh, direct the commission. Um, we work on a variety of areas, including emergency planning, transportation, energy planning, natural resource and water quality planning, uh, community development. We have a Brownfield Revolving Loan Fund through which we provide funding to help uh, remediate um, and investigate uh, sites either have uh, hazardous or petroleum contamination um, or might possibly have it. Um, and so projects that have used that funding would include Red Clover Common um, and New England Youth Theater uh, and a number of properties up in uh, Bellows Falls, really all around the region. And the region consists of all 23 towns in Wyndham County and Reedsboro, Searsburg and Windhall and Bennington County and Weston and Windsor County. And uh, the commission was established in 1965. Okay, so it's... 55 years old. All right. Yep. I, I had no idea. I, I, I've known of the Wyndham uh, Regional Commission. I, I did not realize that it was around that long, though. So it's interesting. Um, and you and you cover all the folks in, Se in, in Searsburg? All, yes. All, all three of them? Well, uh, Somerset's the smaller one. There are a, bit, a, few, oh. a few more in Searsburg. Okay. <laughs> Somerset, I think, still has a population of two or three, right? Yeah. It's just, which has been social distancing forever. <laughs> um, all right. Now, before we dive into coronavirus, um, can you can you give us some examples of what the regional commission uh, has 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 dealt with in, in your tenure? Yeah, I came on in uh, 2010, and so uh, almost a little more than a year. So, so I came on kind of at the uh, depths of the impacts of the Great Recession, and then about a year uh, after. Um, I came on, uh, we had Irene, and that was really a pivotal moment, not only for Wyndham Regional Commission, but all the regional commissions, um, because that role, that link between local, state, and federal government really uh, 
gelled um, because we were, the state was so overwhelmed with taking care of its own infrastructure. The regional commissions were tasked with really providing the direct lead between the towns and FEMA um, to help mitigate any issues they might have um, as towns tried to rebuild. And then we, we also, um, through that, developed our, uh, we actually have a role in the state emergency response. We, we serve as local liaisons between uh, the, the municipalities and uh, the state emergency operations center. Um, and so when there's a disaster, including this one, we will not only do we help towns report information up and make sure their needs are communicated, but we also help staff the state emergency operations center. We provide bench depth to them. And that's, that's not just us, that's all the regional commissions. Of course, uh, we uh, were involved or, uh, in helping to plan around the, uh, both anticipating the eventual Vermont Yankee closure and what those economic impacts were going to look like whenever it would close for whatever reason. Uh, we, weren't at, we weren't advocating for it to close, but we, we knew that if it ever did for whatever reason, it was going to have uh, major economic uh, and fiscal impacts. And so we were planned ahead of that and then helped with the response after the closure. And we have a seat on the Nuclear Decommissioning Citizens Advisory Panel. Um, we also uh, you know, work on a number of large transportation projects. One of the projects that we, we helped have a, have a big hand in was the uh, replacement of the interstate bridge over Route 30 in the West River. We advocated that, that needed to be a gateway bridge, not just another interstate bridge. And so that's why it, it's become actually like the a visitor stopping point that it is. We want it to be a gateway to and from the Route 30 West River Valley. Um, and uh, now, most recently, in, in addition to the, the COVID response, uh, just uh, this week, we completed a, a feasibility study to serve the unserved and underserved uh, uh, people without broadband uh, for the region as a whole. And what will follow on the heels of that will be the development of a business plan for a regional um, communications union district, which uh, has already been formed in the Deerfield Valley, and that will serve as a communications union district for all uh, 27 towns, plus possibly some others in Bennington County too. Okay. Yeah, no, they, uh, that, that, that's an important initiative, I know, to kind of keeping uh, Southern Vermont vital. Um, so th that is good. Now, has, has the whole COVID-19 disrupted your day-to-day -day operations at the commission? Well, primarily, we're all working remote. We began working remote starting March 23rd. The, the where, where it's impacted us the most is the work as of a regional commission is uh, inherently involves engaging with the public. That's a big part of what we do is help facilitate conversations within towns, between towns, with the general public about that whole range of issues that I was talking to you about, you know, from community development, emergency planning, uh, transportation, you name it, a lot of a lot of big issues. And that's a challenge, um, especially in a region where we do have so many uh, uh, weak areas as far as broadband and, and, and even cell phone uh, communication is concerned. Um, and then just the, the, you know, everybody getting used to using the technology so far is not a satisfactory replacement for really robust um, public engagement, especially when you're talking about, um, uh, you know, land use and, you know, how um, and land use policy and that kind of thing. It's just not as easy to have that give and take. Um, in other respects, it's, it's got, it's made things uh, 
the, the flip side of that, one of the things you'll find with planners is we're, we're always looking at both sides of everything. So, uh, one of the, so one of the things that, that we're, one of the areas where we have benefited actually is there are some people who are more, who more easily participate by remote means. And so the idea is going forward, how do we adapt to where you make the, you make the best possible use of the remote participation, um, even while we, you know, eventually return back to the face-to-face -face discussions about, uh, a whole range of uh, policy issues. Right. Yeah. No, I think that that is, uh, I, I think now as we're, you know, a, a month, six weeks, uh, eight weeks, uh, depending on when everybody started. Um, and then that's a little bit of a moving target. I think that uh, we've all kind of adapted to this new norm fairly quickly um, under the guise of it takes 21 days to create a habit. Um, and then how will we go back to uh, our old muscle memory, which I think will fall into place. Now, all right, let, 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 let's get right into the crux of, uh, of, of the coronavirus. And, and pass, you mentioned Irene. Are, are there any things that you can take from Irene and, and bring forward into, in, into, the, uh, into your COVID proto protocols? And as far as operating, have, have there been anything that the Wyndham Regional Commission has been able to say, well, you know, that's good because we did this back during Irene, so we can bring this forward and deploy this. Well, the first thing we actually jumped on was uh, continuity of operations planning for municipalities, just trying to help set the stage for what they were going to need to do. Before, actually, before I came on, uh, I, I think it was for the H1N1 virus. There have been so many. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we had actually, the state had actually, and FEMA had actually asked states to work with municipalities uh, to develop continuity of operations plans in, in, in the event H1N1 really blew up. Um, so we knew that we needed to get information out. So we actually pulled out those templates, got those to towns. Uh, we have direct contact information for lots of town officials. And so we got all that information directly to the local Department of Health and Agency of Human Services district so they could communicate directly with the municipalities. Then we uh, knew that there were going to be public open meeting laws issues, uh, especially the requirement that you have a physical location required and that, that people be uh, staffed that. So we worked with VLCT and the legislature and uh, Senator Jeanette White was great. Uh, she she uh, led a lot of the discussion through her the Senate Government Operations Committee, um, working on uh, how towns can continue to actually conduct regular business because they have to keep paying, you know, making payroll and doing everything else that they normally do throughout all this. Um, and then another piece of that were all the deadlines that municipalities have to meet uh, we worked with, again, with VLCT and uh, the legislature to get extensions on all those deadlines, giving the legislature the authority to just give blanket deadlines for extensions uh, beyond the end of the state of emergency, and then giving the governor the ability in the areas that he controls to offer extensions on various things. But now, uh, one, of the, one of the things, and, and you're involved in this and really appreciate it, is uh, one of the things that we, that we learned after Irene um, was the long-term recovery, uh, how that works. So just so folk know, it's usually when a disaster happens, right, it's, it's typically a flood or something. And if, and if enough people are displaced from their homes, FEMA will come in with some assistance to get people back into housing and like replace household goods and clothes. That's like $35,000 max. And then um, if you get any other funding after that, that they'll they'll, you have to pay some of that money back, but that's it. So when it comes to long-term recovery, this isn't just for Vermont, this is nationwide. 
Mm-hmm. So say in Mississippi, a tornado comes through and wipes out a town. FEMA will come in with that initial response, but the long-term recovery is left to the community itself. And so what happened after Irene, we had a, you know, a number of people lost their homes or displaced from their homes. And so uh, United Way of Wyndham County um, and other groups, uh, uh, SEVCA and other groups stood up a long-term recovery committee and established caseworkers to actually work with individuals to help them get back into their homes, making use of various uh, state and federal programs. It was, a re- it was a really complicated application process. So now what we're looking at is uh, what are gonna be the long-term recovery needs for the pandemic, which is a very different type of event. It's gonna be an extraordinarily long run event. And we don't exactly know what that long-term recovery looks like because we're still in response mode, right? Excuse right. think about the response and recovery. So uh, one of the great things that's happened is uh, Sue Graff, uh, uh, the local district, uh, AOC of Human Services District, um, has helped form a group of a number of different human service agencies and community response organizations um, and with Wyndham Regional Commission and Brattleboro Development Credit Corporation to create a network so that we can talk to each other, communicate with each other, share what we're, what we're learning uh, about what issues are and what the, what the resource needs are going to be and uh, potential resource opportunities so that we can develop that uh, long-term response capacity. So that's that's just meeting, um, at, at, and we're, it does cover the region as a whole, that, that 27 town southeast Vermont region that I uh, mentioned earlier. Um, but I'm really glad that we're, we're already standing that up. And there are a number of people, it's great to have both a number of people who have the past Irene experience and that long-term recovery experience, but then we've got a lot of new people too. Um, and that's, it's, it's, so yeah, you don't want to see a disaster like this happen, but uh, it's great to see the resources and energy and, and, and frankly, commitment of people to their neighbors and the region. Right. So when, in, in, in your, I guess, in your geographical drop, uh, you've got a town, Brattleboro, that has over 12,000 uh, citizens, and then you've got, uh, what was it, um, Somerset with, okay. with three. Right. So, I mean, obviously there's going to be uh, there's going to be more pull towards the Brattleboro area uh, as there is towards the Somerset area. Um, although, you know, everybody's fair and equal in this particular fight. But I mean, how do you uh, how do you balance that, it, especially during a time like this? That, that's our main uh, role is we will we try to adapt um, what we do as a, as a regional commission um, to serve each town. Uh, as it's needed on its own terms. So Brattleboro, of course, has capacity, and, and Rockingham as well, and Wilmington to some extent, they have capacities that other communities don't. Other communities, you know, have extraordinarily limited capacity. One of the things that we, that in, in non-emergency uh, times that we do, uh, is there are a number of organizations that exist out there in the world to, to serve the needs of people who live in towns, and everybody lives in a town. Um, but one of the things, one of the big questions we'll always get is like, why are the towns doing this? Or why aren't the towns doing that? Well, some communities, again, like Brattleboro, you know, they offer all, a whole range of services. Other towns, though, really, uh, you know, the select board functions to help develop a budget and implement a budget. And a lot of that, you know, goes to roads. Right. Uh, but otherwise, they don't have a lot of capacity. You know, they may not even have any a full-time staff person other than the road form. And so we'll help uh, oftentimes we serve as like that, um, 
extension of their administrative capacity to get work done that they need to get done. But the other thing that we do is we just, we, we, this is why we try to keep an eye on, not to be nosy, but just keep an eye on what's happening all over the place so that if we see that an area is under-resourced, we'll reach out to the state or service organizations or other groups to say, hey, we're hearing about, we're hearing through like the emergency management directors. We help, we host meetings of the, of the regions, each town's emergency management director on a quarterly basis. We have close relationships with those people. We can communicate with them regularly. Now, right now, we're hosting a weekly meeting with them and other town officials and uh, the local Vermont Emergency Management Department of Health and Agency of Human Services staff. So even through that, they can hear from each other and you know share information. But as we become aware of what the issues are, then we can reach out to others to try to help get resources to where they need to go. And um, this hasn't happened that much on this event, but sometimes we can help. We don't necessarily staff it, but we can come in and, and, and like a community organizer function and help a community stand up something that maybe they, they need that they don't currently have. So during something like this, safe to say, a town like uh, like Somerset might see more of the Wyndham Regional Commission than a town like Brattleboro. Yeah, Somerset, because there is so few people, uh, they actually have a governor-appointed town supervisor who I know is in, in close contact with those residents there. I would say it's, it's more the... It's bigger than the, than the Somersets in terms of population. You know, it's more it's more the uh, uh, it's more especially through the emergency management directors. You know, it's the Londonderries and the Reedsboros and the and the Newfanes and, and those towns. And the other thing that we're working with them on, and this is this is a little different, but it just it's it's helping guide them through the state of emergency in a different order. So because we do work on a number of transportation projects, and we actually do some direct transportation. Uh, work in towns like it's even helping the road form and understand uh, what does this order mean now for regular road maintenance issues or we've got one of the questions that we just got uh, this week was uh, in Jamaica they uh, approved a, uh, they, they chose a contractor to a paving project but what do those orders say now about out-of-state contractors coming in to do that work uh, what does that mean and so we can run those questions up the line to the state and help them get the answers to it. And uh, we also work a lot with VLCT. We, we, we're, but VLCT, we, we have different functions, but VLCT is great because they have that, uh, that legal expertise. We have a lot of, you know, professional expertise and just general knowledge, but they've got that legal expertise. And so we can also reach out to VLCT and say, these are questions that we're hearing, are you guys hearing that too? Um, and then we can get that information back out to towns or get VLCT and, and the legislature a heads up about things we're hearing that they may not be aware about, aware of. Okay. What, um, let's talk about, we've mentioned and we've touched on recovery a little bit. And, and again, I get that, that the systems we put into place today uh, will look much different tomorrow. We're all trying to fix the car as it's moving. Um, nobody pandemics well. All, my little, <laughs> all, my th all the things I've been throwing out there um, on all my interviews, but what, what right now, as of today, what do the long-term recovery plans look like as far as the Wyndham Regional Commission is concerned? So a few areas, right? There's, there's economic recovery and we collaborate with Broward Development Credit Corporation on those issues. We'll be, uh, towns may want to be applying for grants. We can help provide assistance with that. Oftentimes it's not necessarily the direct grant writing, but it's giving them the information like the demographic information, the maps and other things that they need to develop the applications. 
um, there is that's going to be we're going to have the ongoing situational awareness uh, uh, identification uh, where we'll be reaching out to the EMDs because right we're going to have depending on how long we've got the shelter in place and then just the aftermath we're going to need to keep identifying what the issues are because there this is you know they're the you know generally speaking a disaster where you've already where you've already had problems those problems are going to be exacerbated um where you already have those issues they're going to be amplified uh it's you know it's, it's and again this planner thing about looking at both sides of the coin it's also an opportunity for people to come together maybe in ways they hadn't previously and we saw that after irene um but it's you know some of the issues we don't necessarily know what they're going to be but one that i think we're already beginning to see is um we've been giving folk a heads up about towns a heads up about um on the land use planning side of things about at some point Ver southeast vermont especially should should look at uh population growth and land use pressures that maybe we hadn't seen before and i, I suspect that not only vermont but a lot of rural and what we call exurban uh new england and the northeast are going to see a lot of development pressures as people move out of the more densely populated areas um, into uh, into other part, especially now that we're getting used to working remote now for for months. You know that's going to become more commonplace. So, I, you know, anecdotally, we're already hearing about you know purchasing of residential property sight unseen by folk who want to um, yeah. move up, and that's both that's going to be a great opportunity because we need to increase our working age population. Um, and you know those are also people who can help like invest in broadband and make broadband more viable um, and other community development projects but it's also going to create new pressures it'll create upward pressure on housing values it could create it could exacerbate our housing shortage um, it could put pressures on land values uh, if people actually start looking at redeveloping subdivisions again so that could put pressure on farmland values and stress uh, Mm -hmm. uh, make it difficult for especially for intergenerational transfer of farms from one person to another so one of the things we're going to be reaching out to towns about we've done this earlier actually, actually even last year just tell asking towns look at what your town plans say and do the policies actually get you to where you say you want to be in the future and we're going to be reaching out to them again it's, it is a hard time for them to be working on plans because again you don't have that normal social interaction that we're able that we're typically able to have as far as community outreach but we want to reach out to them to kind of help them think it through stress testing their plans like typically in the beginning of the plan it says uh we want to main you know we want to concentrate growth in and around our villages and downtowns we want to preserve the countryside for farming and and working forests um so now you got to look at the policies to see do they actually accomplish that or are there holes in there that are so big that it's just going to allow un you know uh, relatively unfettered development, you know, within the context of Act 250 throughout the town as a whole, because the path of least resistance right now really is on the this large lot development on Class Three town roads, and that then the issue there is because I've lived this in other parts of the country where I've lived is then the the burden for towns is you get is the pressure to have infrastructure chase where the development goes, as opposed to where it actually is, um, and if you look at our form of governance that's going to be distributed across 27 different towns um, and uh, not every town necessarily has the capacity to respond to that. Right. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Um, just, I, I, I want to let you get back to work here today, but I just, I do have one, one question uh, for you. I'm, the overall prognosis 
uh, for you. And I get it. If, if you were to ask me just in layman's terms, when does this thing end? And, and I'm, I'm going to use the word vaccine. Um, and that, I think that that's what's going to restore our confidence. Uh, that's what's going to restore co consumer confidence. It's going to, you know, w once we have an absolute cure for this thing. But overall uh, prognosis for this whole thing, Chris, w what are your thoughts on it? If you mean the overall impacts, um, you know, at some level, I mean, just in where I sit, we were still recovering from the Great Recession. Uh, you know, Vermont didn't necessarily have a, a huge uh, peak and trough in terms of like house values and other things that other parts of the country did. But uh, we were already struggling with uh, relatively low incomes and people having to work multiple jobs. Um, and you know, so now we're gonna. This is a disaster, a very slow-moving one, coupled with the economic impacts that are only now unfolding. Right? We're still want to see what that looks like. But I'm not trying to be pessimistic at all. But I think it's going to be, um, you know, a, a probably a decade at least that we're going to be having to work to, um, you know, really not just rebuild the local economy. I tend to look at when I think about the local economy. I think about not just how businesses are doing, but household income security. In other words, how do people, when they're coming, when they come home at night, are they fretting over their bills or and are they worrying? Or are they feeling like, okay, I've got a job the next day, I've got income, things are generally secure. At least that part of my life I can exhale about. Right. And I think that's going to be uh, the big challenge. And then we'll just need to watch, um, you know, if the region does see more development pressure. Because if you think about it, we've got you know, passenger rail, we've got interstate, we're going to be a pretty attractive area for, you know, we're pretty close to a lot of uh, metro areas in the Northeast. Um, we're going to, need, going to need to really keep an eye out on um, inequities and, um, and make sure that uh, if there, the benefits to that development actually help benefit, you know, the population as a whole. And that's, uh, you don't want a situation where, um, you know, some ships are rising very quickly and other, otherwise people are getting underwater and the other folk are getting underwater. Right. And I think that's going to be the long-term uh, issue that we're going to have to deal with. Okay. Great. Chris, thank you for the conversation today. Shed a lot, uh, a light on a lot of different things. And uh, we appreciate you taking the time with us here on a call to action today. Thank you, sir. Thank you for tuning in to a special segment of the Earspoon called A Call to Action as we navigate the waters of a worldwide pandemic. More information will follow. And as always, be safe and be six feet apart.